Wait, Ninini? Greetings and thank you for tuning in to the African Diary. This is podcast number nine. And today's story is about an 11-year-old African whose childhood was stolen in the 90s. This is a true story and Juma and his mother are both alive and they live among us. You probably cross paths with them on a daily basis but their smile and kindness fools you. They believe their whole purpose in life is to make sure everybody is okay but they have lost the taste for life and suicide is not how they want to go. They owe it to all of those who couldn't be here today. I have intentionally decided to begin telling this story from the middle but if I choose to continue with it I will share with you the other parts next week. This story took place in Kinshasa, the capital city of the Democratic Republic of Congo and that is where Juma and his mother were reunited. They were reunited because Juma was separated from his family during the genocide in Rwanda. However, they lost each other in Rwanda and were reunited 2,500 kilometers or roughly 1,600 miles away from home in another country. Listen, there are no words in spoken languages to describe to the smallest details how they felt when they saw each other. On that day, they couldn't even say words to each other. They held each other so tight the whole time. You'd think they were told that they would only be in each other's presence for a few minutes. And whenever they tried to speak, tears would override their words and they would just be crying. <laughs> Anyways, Juma's mother was always business-minded, so she managed to set up small businesses in their adoptive country. And it seems like the universe had finally decided to be on their side. Later, she decided to register Juma to a school that was only 30 minutes away from where they lived. And the mother and child relationship was upgraded to, we are the only family we have remaining on this earth. Now, many months later, rumors of war intensified in the eastern part of DRC and the new leader and his army were working toward the capital city to overthrow the old and sick marshal. At first in the capital city, it was not really taken seriously, but it quickly changed because the rebels were advancing fast toward the city. The local government at the time suspected that there were spies in the capital city working for the then rebel groups and the news spread like bushfire. Then fear and anxiety gave rise to a witch hunt. The local authorities were looking for anything or anybody that they can use to show the president that they were on top of things. And if that anybody had some sort of connection to the Great Lake region or was from Rwanda then it was even better regardless of whether the crimes they were accused of were true or not. And it was under those conditions that Juma was now going to school. But in school, he was, you know, he was never bothered because people in his school knew his history and they loved him. Juma used to struggle to sleep at night because that was usually when his brain would play tricks on him. It would bring back the images of his family, his friend, the atrocity he witnessed. And sometimes he would feel as if the deceased were trying to comfort him. On one particular night, he couldn't sleep at all. So he decided to go to the balcony to look at the stars and practice predicting the weather like his grandmother taught him. Their apartment had two large balconies, one in the front and one in the back. His bedroom was facing the back so he decided to go to the living room where he could properly see the moon. As he got there he noticed his mother was already sitting at the balcony. She smiled and he smiled back then they sat there nobody said a word till the early morning when it was time to get ready for school. By the time he was dressed up his breakfast was ready, he ate, he left by 6.30 and school used to start at 7am and finish at 12 and every day that was his schedule. Juma would walk to school and back all by himself in the busy street of Kinshasa. You see, on the continent it is generally safe for children to navigate the street by themselves without their parents fearing their child would be abducted. Anyways, when he got back, the concierge was not there and there were a few tires at the entrance. That was strange because the place was always spotless. Although he found it strange, he kept it moving. 
When he reached the seventh floor, that's where they lived, he put his keys inside the door and the key wasn't moving and that usually meant that his mother was in and she had left her keys at the door. So the next step was to knock on the door but he knocked and waited for almost 30 minutes but there was still no action. His anxiety kicked in and it brought back memories but he decided to stay calm and knocked harder and called his mother's name. Now after a few minutes he heard his mother moving towards the door. Then she asked him if he was alone. He found the question strange but he replied yes. She asked him if he was followed. He told her to wait. He quickly ran two floors down then two floors up and came back and told her no. The whole vibe was just strange to young Juma. He could hear his mother moving stuff from the door. She told him to enter as fast as he can as soon as she opens the door. He agreed and when she opened the door, he jumped in, then he helped his mother push the fridge and the sofa against the door. He could see that his mother had cried but he didn't know why she was crying so he decided to go to his room to change and then he came back sat next to his mother and asked her what was the problem. You see generally on the African continent adult problems are adult problems. They are never to be discussed or exposed to children because the village or the community always tries its best to make sure children focus on being children and adults worry about the rest. Now it seems like his mother had reached that stage where she believed this was the end and she decided to tell him. You see on the continent usually your neighbors are like an extension of your family. Their problems are your problem and your problem are their problems. Their next door neighbors were a couple who had seven children and Juma was like their eighth child. Juma's mother had employed the daughters of six residents in that building and from time to time she was helping the family of seven with money because the husband had the husband business had collapsed but luckily they had managed to buy the apartment they were living in. In that building there was a strong sense of community with all the neighbors but their next door neighbors were like family. However in my village they say the fish had faith in water but it's the water that boiled the fish. On that day as Juma's mother was getting ready to go open one of her businesses she met the next door neighbors husband and wife and usually and as usual she greeted them. However she was surprised when the wife verbally abused her and then told her you random spy we will burn you alive if you dare leave this building today. But quickly her husband apologized to Juma's mother then he was shouting at his wife asking what was wrong with her. After that scene Juma's mother was scared because she had heard of people going missing for such accusations. Then she decided to stay home and wait for a child and plan how they can quickly relocate to somewhere safer. At around 10 am she heard a commotion outside and she decided to go to the balcony to see what was happening. But she stopped halfway through when she heard what they were saying. They were singing and calling a name and shouting they will burn her alive for being a spy for the rebels. One of the neighbors who lived above them was a businessman who was known for selling gold. He phoned her and told her not to leave and not to open the door to anybody unless it's him who asked her to do so. He informed her that the next door neighbor's children were also in the crowd and those were the only people capable of identifying her. He told her to stay calm, he's organizing a way for her and her child to leave the country the same day and told her to travel light and expect his call. Then after a few minutes she heard the voice of the same neighbor outside talking to the crowd and telling them that she's not home and they should try one of her businesses. Now when she was done explaining the situation she saw that in Juma's eyes he wasn't bothered or scared. That is simply because in Juma's mind he was declared dead a long time ago. 
Anyways, earlier Juma's mother had tried phoning a few people to see if they could pick Juma up from school but nobody had ret nobody returned her call. However, her closest friend was informed of the situation but she was still far away and there was no way to reach out to the school. Basically, they were trying to stop Juma from going back to the apartment in fear that he would be attacked and that was the only thing that would have made his mother leave the apartment. Now, almost an hour went by since Juma was home then suddenly his mother closest friend phoned. She was around the corner but she could not risk going near the building because they knew her face and people were now slowly gathering again in front of the building. They were thinking of a way to get out and jump in the car before there were more people but above all before the local authority arrived at the location. Now how would a woman with a child manage to navigate through a crowd of people who mean business? How to leave from the main lobby when that is exactly where a small group of people are gathered and waiting? There was only one way out, so they thought. Quickly Juma jumped into the conversation and told them that there were eight other ways out of that building. So as you can imagine, he got everyone's attention. Alright, there were nine blocks of apartment and all those apartments were connected through the roof so it was possible to go to any blocks from the roof. Juma knew that piece of information because as a survivalist, not by choice but by imposition, it was a must to quickly familiarize himself with his environment. Time was running out and the number of people kept growing and Juma felt that things were moving slowly because his mother and her friend drifted into talking about what if things doesn't work and they were there saying goodbye to each other. He grabbed the phone from his mother's hand and told the person on the other side of the phone to park in front of the last block they will be there in 10 minutes. His mother was shaking out of fear. He grabbed her backpack, held his mother's hand and they were on the move upwards. When they reached the top floor, the gate was open but the concierge was sleeping on the way. He was probably put there to make sure that they do not escape but later they found out that it was the neighbor who lived above them, the diamond guy who gave the concierge a bottle of whiskey. Anyways, Juma jumped the drunkard then he realized that his mother couldn't. She was paralyzed by the thoughts of this man waking up and holding her leg. Juma jumped back, held his mother's hand and begged her to jump. He released her hand, she jumped and they were on the roof running. They ran to the last block, entered the last block, then they began descending. When they reached the empty lobby of the last building, his mother's friend was in the car with the engine on and the doors were half opened. Then they ran out and jumped in the car then she drove away without anybody seeing them. However, this was only a drop of water in the oceans of problems they were about to face after entering that car. Keep in mind they had committed no crime but they were caught in the middle of a political fight they knew nothing about. And for the second time in their lives they were forced to restart life from scratch. The end. I thank you if you made it this far and I hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully I'll speak to you next time. Don't forget to click on the link on my page. Thank you.